get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I got to tell you, I have been chomping at the bit to get behind the microphone and uh, be on the show this week because uh, the the Last Jedi digital download home video release has just lit a fire under me. Really, I, I, I in so many ways, it's made me appreciate the film even more. And in other ways, it's made me question things I hadn't questioned before. It's It really is required watching, I believe, to truly appreciate this film. But does that in and of itself uh, hurt the movie? Does it, does it make it uh, less potent, less powerful if you really got to watch you know, deleted scenes and an audio commentary and a documentary and all of that to to have it really sink. And we're going to get into that, all of that stuff and unpack it now that we've had a chance to get into a, a bunch of these additional uh, uh, extras that have uh, come packaged with the uh, the Last Jedi home digital release. Of course, the, uh, the Blu-ray is not due for another week or so, but uh, we've definitely... Got lots to talk about with the uh, the digital home video release. Plus, Mark Hamill finally getting his due with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Our microphones were there. Plus, your voicemails and so much more coming up on this week's show. Rebel Force Radio for March 16th, 2008. I'm not the only one who's excited to be here. Of course, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack, is hey, also. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. So much Star Wars to consume right now. It's ridiculous. It's out of hand. I mean, it's wall-to-wall Star Wars lately. And uh wouldn't have it any other way. You know, it's always wall-to-wall Star Wars around here, but... uh when, when we're really being force-fed this stuff, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of how it's happening right now. It's like, oh, here's the uh, novelization. Oh, here's the home video release. And uh, so having those two big events happen in the last week has really upped my level of consumption of Star Wars things, where just about every one of my other interests have completely fallen off the map. And that's part of the fun of it all, of the new releases. And it's been that way since the prequel era, when we get all of this bonus stuff 
following the theatrical run. And I don't think it takes away anything from the films at all. I think it further highlights all the uh, interesting things going on in the films, uh, answers some weird little plot questions we might have or fills in the blanks, especially in the case with deleted scenes. I think the whole story of The Last Jedi has been enriched by all of this other stuff. But on the other side of the coin, too, Jason, the more I see of the film, the more I start watching it with a critical edge and mm-hmm. a critical eye, mm-hmm. and I start to question certain things that might have gone by me during the theatrical run, because every time I visited the theater to see the, the film, I was really just on board for the ride, and yep. I rolled with it, and I rolled with it emotionally, too, but now yeah. I've been able to step back a little bit, and so there are certain things I'm going to be asking questions about, and that's Typical for just about any other Star Wars film, all Star Wars films. The more you get exposed to it, the more questions that it promotes, I think. And so that's that's what a lot of the fun is about breaking all these films down. So uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to getting into that uh, home video release. I'd like to thank our friends at Voodoo.com, V-U-D-U.com. They were kind enough to send Jason and myself some uh, amazing 4K ultra high def copies of the Last Jedi home video release. And uh, also, you guys following us on social media or members of our Patreon community, we were able to spread the wealth and we were able to share a whole bunch of codes to our listeners who are following us on those platforms earlier this week so thank you so much voodoo wow man it's so much going on right now i i you know it's hard to think that we're only two months away from the next star wars theatrical release i mean it's hard I, I'm to starting, believe i i i'm where's my inhaler i need to i need to catch my breath you know, I actually t- got to tell you, I I bought the my second Star Wars Lego set. Yeah, this week. Uh, you know, I mean, I I don't count the stuff that I've bought for the kids. There's been stuff here and there that I bought for the kids. I'm talking about for me. I've bought two Lego sets. The first was uh, a year or so ago. I bought the uh, Cloud City, the, the 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 freeze chamber, the carbonite freeze chamber set because it reminded me so much of. The micro collection freeze chamber cloud city playset that I had, which was actually uh, when when I, in the final analysis when I look back, probably my all time favorite Star Wars toy as a kid growing up was that whole cloud city playset. You know, you had the freeze chamber area, you had the 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 bridge with the breakout window where you know you could hit the button and Luke went flying out the window. Uh, you had sort of the the spire or whatever that was where Luke, you know, had his temptation with Vader there before he threw himself off the edge. Mm-hmm. I'm looking um, so at the I, carbon freezing chamber right now. And it looks uh, in, in my, uh, in my eye, at least it looks like a very simplistic uh, sort of kitty Lego set. ages seven to 12. Well, I, I mean, weren't the micro collection pretty kitty micro collection stuff was pretty kitty. I wouldn't be able to, but put it had that. To- <laughs> I well, wouldn't. Well, I mean, the Lego stuff is 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 actually more difficult to put together. But I mean, the uh, what I loved about it, it is that it it had that you know it has the gimmick where you know you can flip the Han figure into carbonite and then bring him up through the you know the the little floor the panel there and he's in carbonite. But so I I bought that a year or so ago because it reminded me so much of a of that favorite toy. But I had to buy 
the Octu Island training set that came out. Uh, it was part of, I think, the second wave of Last Jedi Legos. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's got uh, Luke's little hovel there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the rocks that Ray is cutting up there on, on Octu Island, and it has a little porg. And uh, <laughs> I saw it was just so irresistible. I had to get. It. I know that you know that some of that stuff isn't appealing to you. I know you're not a big Star Wars Lego guy, but I'm really not. I'm just. It, it has nothing to do with Star Wars Lego. I'm probably more into Star Wars Lego than any other kind of Lego. To be honest with you, I'm just not a Lego guy. I, 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 I appreciate you, it. I know a lot of kids like it, but uh, like I'm looking at this Lego Octu Island training set that yeah. you got, and I was just, I'm mm-hmm. like, it's it's too cutesy for me. I don't, I, I don't like collect the, cutesy Star Wars. Man, I, the, something's happening to me because I love the mystery minis from Funko. I'm starting to like the Funko Pops a little bit more. Uh, you know the regular size ones, and and now I'm uh, the Legos. I don't know why. Yeah, you have a five year old son, so I you're do. seeing a lot of things through his <laughs> eyes. Yeah, when my kids true. were five, and you know that age, the the Star Wars stuff there wasn't too much great stuff out there for kids. Yeah, the Lego was around, but that was always a hassle to bring that into the house because the pieces would get everywhere and they'd lose a piece and then they'd give up building it because they lost the piece. Yeah. And then uh, and then the other thing was um, that I really enjoyed buying for my kids when they were little were the Galactic Heroes, the original Galactic Heroes. That oh, yeah. was a fantastic line. And, Great uh, bath time toys. Sure. I mean, because they were non-articulate for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that way you wouldn't be gumming up the uh, joints and stuff. And they were durable <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and everything. Yeah. So it, you... You always are taking the the action figures into the bathtub. I forgot about yeah, that little no, tradition that was... of yours. I <laughs> I think people actually sent us artwork of you. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. In the tub with action figures. It's it's a disturbing image, folks, and I apologize for that. <laughs> I but, think uh, someone broke into the house and t- took some photos. Uh but you know one of the things that they have that's sort of an action feature of this uh Lego set, this Octu Island training set is, you know, they 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 have uh, Ray, you can you can kind of swing Ray with the lightsaber, and she can uh, knock this boulder over, like what you see with uh, in the Last Jedi. But in the Lego set, the boulder opens up to reveal crystals inside, and it just makes me wonder if that's perhaps uh, if that was just something that Lego added for a little bit of play value and interest. Or is that perhaps a deleted scene mm-hmm. or not a deleted scene that we've seen, but is that maybe a, a, a let's say a deleted concept mm. from uh, The Last Jedi where, you know, perhaps there on Oct 2, there might have been some kyber crystals there or some sort of crystal that would, uh, you know, uh, make sense in the context of this Lego toy. But anyway, I, I we went on a toy run. I took the kids on a toy run and, uh, you know, of course, dad had to walk away with something. So I walked away with the. Octu Island training set. Good for you. Hey, I'm uh, looking through the art of The Last Jedi, just looking mm-hmm. for any indication that Ray was chopping boulders in half and finding crystals inside. And I'm not seeing anything in the concept art. Um, that's not the only inconsistency with this Lego set compared to the film, let me tell you. Oh, right. <laughs> well, you know, this is L canon. This is Lego canon. Lego. He has a cloth 
curtain for a door as opposed to the uh, S-foil from his X-Wing, it appears, in the uh, Lego picture here. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. There is a, there is a cloth curtain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I, I cry foul on the whole thing. But he does have a little, he does have a fish that he's cooking there in the, in the Lego set. That's, that's true to the yeah. film. I was assuming he, well, we never saw him actually cooking the fish, did we? No, but we, but, we can assume that he cooks the fish. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't assume that he was practicing taxidermy there in that. <laughs> That hut, and he was like mounting them up on the wall. He goes to all the trouble to catch the thing. You, you assume he's he's going to eat it. I've seen your daily routine. You're not busy. I love that line. So funny. Um, but anyway, so that was my uh, that was my my week in Star Wars. Of course, devouring all of the the the, the bonus features and 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 rewatching the film over and over and, and building so, can't little Lego get, kits and building but Lego kits. There's yeah. nothing in the art of book that. That shows Ray doing that. I just looked through a second okay. time. So I don't know where that came from. I was thinking, because you were describing this to me on the most recent episode of RFR Rush Hour, which is uh, an exclusive for the RFR Patreon community. Go to patreon.com slash Radio and get on board with all that. Because we got a lot of bonus shows out there. Our most recent bonus show is uncensored. Me and Jason are, are cursing like sailors. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, oh, you speak for yourself. I'm... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm totally squeaky clean on this. Yeah. People are like, oh, now we know how Jason really talks. <laughs> but no one said that about me. You know, everyone well, just assumed. No, yeah, right, right. Of course. Of course. I'm, I'm with character. the F's and the S's and all the bad yeah. words. But uh, that that's a, oh, that's a one-time thing there over on uh, Rush Hour. <laughs> But uh, but uh, well, people know, have really enjoyed so that episode. Though. <laughs> we I, have to let our hair down once in a while, right? Once in a while, once in a while. Actually, the the yeah. reason for that show being released that way is because it, we didn't realize we were recording a show when we were doing it. It was just I had hit record prior to us uh, having to actually re- record something, and we were just talking. And the next thing you know, we had a show. So uh, that's kind of cool. How that funny all how that works? Yeah. So a very unique episode of RFR Rush Hour. <laughs> I wasn't even in the car, I don't think. <laughs> no, you weren't. Yeah, we weren't going anywhere. It's a different kind of rush hour. But uh, it, uh, it was yeah. good. It was it was down to earth. It was good. It was cathartic yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was gratuitous, was it? No. No, okay. it wasn't. Right. It, was it wasn't just, like for shock value, because I didn't even know we were no. recording at that time. It was more like... Just a, a certain way of emphasizing things. There you go. All right, <laughs> right. What, but what, so what that's a lot of fun. Say, Spock says in, in Star Trek Four, he says uh, colorful metaphors. Exactly. A lot of wonder. colorful metaphors being used. So uh, that can be found on our Patreon page and the links at rebelforceradio.com. Make it easy yep. on you. But uh, so we were talking about this on that show about uh, your shopping run and everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and the whole idea of Ray chopping these boulders on Octu and yeah. finding these crystals. So I thought maybe when the home video release came out this week maybe we'll see that in there i was all ready for it too i can't wait to see those crystals when they cut the boulders <laughs> open and so it didn't happen on the home video release so immediately i started tweeting mean things to ryan johnson because i was so <laughs> yeah, upset by you're it. not the only one by the way you know i'm boy you know at at the risk of uh you know sounding like the you know i don't know the grumpy old man or the i i, I don't know what it sounds like I was really bummed because Ryan Johnson tweeted that he had uh, he was he was tweeting how to access 
a cut of the film, or I should say a version of the film, not a cut of the film, but a version of the film where it takes all of the dialogue and all of the, you know, the audio effects out of the film. And it's just the movie with John Williams soundtrack. And he was just really enthusiastic. He said, Hey guys, if you've got the, the digital download, here's how you do it. It's a little complicated, but, but, but it's totally worth it, you know, to watch the movie with uh, John Williams, amazing score in there. And, uh, uh, somebody tweeted back at him, uh, yeah, and how do I watch it, uh, directed by and written by someone else? You know, I, 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 I get what you're saying. You have an opinion and, you know, it's, it's your opinion. That's great. But does your opinion really give you the right to be rude? You know, I, I just, like, why do you have to be insulting? Mm-hmm. And you're saying something. Here's a question for you, whoever you are. I can't think of your name. And then at one point, he's like, oh, dude, I love you. I think it was Paul (laughs) Bateman at Paul RMQ on Twitter. (laughs) It was not Paul. It was not Paul, but it it could have been Paul. But no, it was not Paul. But but at some point in the conversation, and, and, and what's great about it is Ryan just rolls with it. He gives the guy like these crazy directions, like run out in the middle of the street and take off your all your clothes and you know stuff like that. But um, and, and then towards the end, the guy says, "Hey, love you, Ryan. You know, love your movies. Just didn't like Last Jedi." Blah blah blah. So he kind of redeems himself. But I just thought, you know, would you would you say it to the guy to his face? Of course not. If the guy was handing you a slice of pizza as you're waiting in line at Star Wars Celebration, <laughs> would you say would you say that to his face? You wouldn't say it to his face. So why would you say it to him on uh, on social media? That's 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 my beef. Yeah. With social media is that it it, it creates a. Uh, a, a facade. You hide behind an avatar. You hide behind a screen name, and 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 maybe that's the podcaster in me because we've never hidden behind screen names or or facades or avatars. We are who we are, and we say it loud. We say it proud, and and uh, it just I, it just bugged me. You know, here's the guy. He's really enthusiastic. The movie's coming out on home video. He wants to share this cool feature, and some jerkwad needs to come on there and 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 just. He and everyone's Cheerios. I don't know. And you look at these documentaries. You see the guy in interviews. I don't care if you hated The Last Jedi. But, I mean, you see Ryan Johnson putting himself out there, and he's obviously a nice guy. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with it. You can't help but like this guy a lot and see the reverence that he has for Star Wars and the characters. And uh, we've got so much to talk about. But one thing I want to bring up and that I'm very excited about, and we, we've got some preliminary details for you. But as Jim mentioned, here we are on uh, the precipice of another Star Wars movie being released to the theater, of course, Solo, A Star Wars Story. And to celebrate, Rebel Force Radio is going to leave no fan left behind, at least no fan within uh, reasonable mileage of Ohio, as we celebrate the release of that film with Solo in Ohio. <laughs> Han Solo is not a loser. Han Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon. This is a Millennium Falcon. You're Han Solo. You're Han Solo. Han Solo. Solo. Ohio, 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 Ohio. Well, you 
You've seen us do live shows in Orlando. You've seen us do live shows in L.A. You've seen us do live shows in Chicago. But finally, we're coming home to my neck of the woods, and we're going to do a live show in Cleveland, Ohio, to celebrate Solo in Ohio. Here are the preliminary details. We know that we're going to be doing a live podcast on Friday, May 25th, at Kennedy's Cabaret in Playhouse Square. We're also going to be taken in the movie the night before, that's Thursday, May 24th, at a theater to be determined. We're trying to find the best venue. Uh, I will tell you one thing. Tickets are going to be extremely limited. Kennedy's is a beautiful little cabaret, uh, kind of a speakeasy type joint, you might say, and a very intimate venue. Uh, but we just couldn't resist. It just felt like the right place to do it. So very limited number of seats. So when the tickets go on sale, if you know you can be in the Northeast Ohio area on uh, May 24th and 25th, you want to jump on it right away mm-hmm. uh, because they will go quickly. But I'm I'm so thrilled that this is going to happen in my neck of the woods. Jim, you've mm-hmm. only been through this area uh, one other time as we were shooting some stuff for When the Galaxy Listens, Sheldon Norton's great documentary. So I'm going to be excited to have you back. Not only you, but we're mm-hmm. getting two for the price of one with our brother, Billy Mack. That's right. Yes, we're, we're liberating Billy Mack from the North Chicago suburbs. He rarely leaves his natural habitat. <laughs> <laughs> but he will be. He will be migrating east for Memorial Day weekend. And... Yeah. Opening night of Solo, a Star Wars story. And then he'll be sitting in with us on the uh, podcast in downtown Cleveland. Live podcast. I'm looking so forward to it. We've had a lot of great response. So Mm -hmm. get on the mailing list right now if you want to be the first to get information about when tickets are going to go on sale, what theater we're going to see the film at, and... uh, you know, who knows what else is going to happen during that weekend, but we'll make sure everyone knows about it who's on our mailing list. And uh, that's a show at rebelforceradio.com, subject line, Solo in Ohio. Also, keep your eyes open on rebelforceradio.com because we'll be posting all the information there as soon as we're ready to make an announcement about when tickets are going to go on sale. But I would imagine it's going to be happening before the month of March is over. So, uh, like Jason said, limited amount of tickets available for Kennedy's. It's right there in downtown Cleveland at the Cleveland Playhouse square theaters and it's going to be incredible it's going to be a great night and uh, we'll be seeing solo the night before theater tbd billy mack will be there i'm uh, keeping my fingers crossed we could book the ever elusive pete natal our old buddy pete might be uh, showing up and you never know who else. So, uh, but we we just want to hang out with a nice group of Star Wars fans, and we know the best place to find a nice group of Star Wars fans is within this listening audience. So, uh, check it out, Solo in Ohio. It's going to be happening in May for Solo, a Star Wars story, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a hoot. I think, Jason. I, I think it's been upgraded to uh, hoot status. Hoot status? Yeah. Uh, what what does George like to call it? whoop de doo It's a big whoop de doo <laughs> I'll never forget him sitting on stage there at Celebration. Hey, what am I going to plug now? Oh, yeah, the Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're working on the Blu-ray. And he looks at everyone in the audience yeah. and just kind of shrugs his shoulders like, yeah. look at all the monkeys who work for me. <laughs> 
Oh, hey, guys. Hey, little radio show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, by the way, this week's show, we're so thrilled, is brought to you by Patreon. Uh, and our Patreon sponsors, uh, you can get RFR All Access on Patreon, and you'll never miss an episode of any of our bonus content, like RFR Rush Hour, including the blue and uncensored version, uh, RFR Rewind, RFR Q&A, and uh, giveaways, and early access to things like RFR events, including Solo in Ohio. So you want to make sure that... Uh, you can uh, jump on the bandwagon there at patreon.com slash rebel force radio. And uh, we thank all of you in our Patreon backers club for your support of us here at rebel force radio and bringing this week's show to fruition. So uh, let, we might as well get into it. The big story this week, last Jedi. I have good news for you, my Lord. That's good news. Come closer. I have good news. Now, Jimmy was very busy. Uh, I didn't even know this was going on. And uh, Voodoo has been kind enough to us uh, in the past where we've been given uh, you know, various download codes. And uh, with the Last Jedi release, there's no exception. Voodoo was given those out. And we were able to, uh, through social media, right, Jim? We were able to make some folks winners. Yeah, we did a little uh, Twitter contest and uh, gave a big healthy chunk away to uh, our friends, in the Patreon community. So uh, another reason to get on board with the community and uh, check out patreon.com slash rebel force radio. Well, I got to tell you, I, um, I, as soon as I, I was so excited because I, I went to bed late last, I guess it would have been uh, technically Monday night slash early Tuesday morning. And it's just so great at like 1201 AM. My, uh, my, my iPhone buzzed with the, uh, Notice that my pre-order of The Last Jedi was there and I was able to uh, jump on and start looking at some of the deleted scenes. And I, I was obviously very excited to watch the film again and, and, and see the film in the comfort of my own home and all of that. But it really was the bonus features that I was the most excited about. And uh, the thing that I was like the most, most excited about in terms of those bonus features was that documentary. Jim, it had been a while since we got a real feature full-length documentary about the making of a Star Wars film. Yeah, and this was the real deal. I'll put yeah. this documentary up there with all of them, including the beginning from Episode 1, Empire of Dreams, which covered the entire uh, original trilogy, and... Uh, Empire Dreams, did that also cover the prequels? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it mentioned that they'd, you know, come out, but it didn't cover them anywhere near, you know, the depth that that it did to the original trilogy. But to have a feature-length documentary that really took you from point A to point B along the way, you know, laid out the narrative and gave you a real fly-on-the-wall sort of perspective is what it's like uh, for the big moments yeah. uh, shooting of this film. And, and there were some big ones. Uh, there were certain things I noticed, too, about uh, like people you think you know so well, like a, a guy like Mark Hamill, who mm -hmm. uh, and he certainly provides a lot of moments of levity, as he often does. <sighs> His personality is often very uh, outgoing, uh, borderline hammy. Uh, from time to time, but hey, you know what, Mark? That's perfect for us. You're, you're, right. you know, and he's, you, a, he's such a showbiz guy. Yes, he loves show business. Loves uh, you know classic TV and classic movies, and he's a, he's unapologetic about it. But you can't help but just 
adore the guy. And through years of seeing him at various conventions and watching him in panels and even having the privileged opportunity to sit down with him ourselves a couple of times, the man certainly has the gift of gab. And he can run with a story like nobody's business. Kevin Smith does a thing. Another guy who definitely is one of the most prolific talkers that I've ever been around. Uh, How's he doing, by the way? Kevin Smith? Yeah, because he had the. That's uh, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Our thoughts go out to him and his family. Kevin had a heart attack. He had like a massive heart attack when he was he was doing a, a doubleheader, two shows. He was doing some stand-up or something. I don't think he was podcasting. And it was in between shows. All of a sudden, he was just, he felt really sick. He threw up. And the next thing you know, I haven't heard really any other updates outside of the fact that he is um, recovering. stable, what, recovering. Yeah. He's yeah. at home. He's... Um, you know, uh, wow, what a scary thing for Kevin to go through. I'm, I'm, thanks for yeah. reminding me of that. I, I, for some reason, just completely forgot about that. Poor Kevin Smith. I'm such a huge fan of his. But as far as uh, Kevin Smith having that gift of gab, yeah, Kevin has done these things in the past where he would take one question from the audience and spend 90 minutes answering the single question. It's just like, where will he go? You know, it breaks off in all these different tangents. But yet sometimes it keeps coming back to the question. He keeps finding things, little strings that will attach itself back to the original question along the way. It's fabulous. I don't know where you can see it now. I think he used to sell DVDs of it. It's probably on YouTube or what? maybe on his website, Smodcast, whatever. But Kevin has that ability. And Mark Hamill has that ability. I mean, without question, the, the way he can tell stories, it's incredible. However, when I look at him in these behind-the-scenes shots and the documentary and everything, he's really, like, locked in. You know, he's like a serious Mark Hamill. He's very focused. There are, mm-hmm. scenes, there are shots of Mark where you – because you forget this after the years of seeing him on stage at various events and how affable he is and how he likes to tell a joke and how he's, he's not afraid to be a ham. And he's proud of it, quite yeah. honestly, um, to see him as the artist, you know, really locked into the character and uh, – and, and you can tell he's seriously focused at some conversations they're having behind the scenes. I think the loosest he is is at the very end. They're, sh- they're showing his last day on the set. And so they hoist him up on this pulley, and he's up there on these wires, w- and he's stabbing the fish. It's that scene when he's <laughs> right, right, fishing. Right, right. And so uh, they say, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Hamill, he's, he's done. It's his last day of filming. And so he's up there, and then they all wave at him, and they walk away, <laughs> leaving him up there. And then he comes down and he's acting yeah. all silly and goofy and stuff. And, yeah, but did and, you notice that, that you know they continue that on and he's waving. He's like, "But I'll be back tomorrow." Mm-hmm. Nah, it's not a goodbye. I'll be back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so I think he came back the next day just to hang out. Yeah, even though he wasn't necessarily needed. Yeah, he probably had one more day over there in London before he was going to fly back home and yeah, just you know he he just did the rounds. Afterwards. There's a there's another moment in the uh, in the the director in the Jedi, which is the full length documentary. We we originally had had said this this documentary, and and guys, we were just reporting what was what was being uh, uh, shown up, showing up on websites. It looked like it was a two hour thirty minute documentary. It turns out it's about ninety minutes, about an hour and a half. 
this documentary, The Director and the Jedi. And there's a moment where I'm pretty sure it's in that in that piece. There's a number of bonus features and little featurettes uh, where uh, Mark's there on the set of the Canto Bite shoot in the casino shoot. And uh, one of the extras in full in full costume kind of wanders over and realizes that he's been standing next to Mark Hamill, who's been sitting, you know, kind of hiding um, just to sort of take it in. He's like, uh, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe it's you. You were really amazing in the original movies of my childhood and blah, blah, blah. And, and Mark's, of course, very gracious. It's says, oh, thank you. That's very nice. And look how incredible you look. And and uh, yeah, maybe I should help you back over to where you're supposed to be because the guy has, you know, he, he's in full mask and everything. And he's an extra and he's kind of, you know, gushing over uh mm. Uh, you know, yeah. Mark, and it was just kind hey, of funny. Hey, you know, Mark turns it into... This is the VIP zone. What are you doing here? <laughs> Let yeah. me walk you over here. I'll be gracious while I'm doing it, but you can't cross <laughs> this line again. No, he's just sitting there, you know, in, in, in a little chair watching the shoot. Um, you, you know, I definitely got the vibe from watching all of these bonus features that... Uh, Mark Hamill is just relishing and just loving every minute of of being back on a big film set again, and uh, and you know was 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 even in places where he wasn't necessarily needed in terms of the you know the, the, the demands of the, the the shoot for that particular day or in that location or whatever, and, and mm-hmm. uh, just seems he was really throwing himself into it. And it's such a far cry from. I remember the very early days of our uh, podcast adventures, and that was still a time when Mark was, uh, I'm not going to look into the guy's heart and say what he was feeling, but from all uh, indicators, uh, seemed to be struggling with the whole notion of being uh, Luke Skywalker and, and you know, well, you know maybe perhaps typecast or, or whatever. And this is also right on the heels of the the end of the prequel era. Uh, and that is a time when the original trilogy characters, you know, the, at least the Han, Luke, Leia uh, trio wasn't really thought about much, you know, in terms of what Lucasfilm and, and, and George was putting out there. And, uh, you know, you, George, I think Mark would show up at some of the premieres for the prequels. He's uh, but 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 didn't really embrace it. And it wasn't until he started doing the conventions the Star Wars celebrations, I feel that he really started to understand the depth of the the passion and the devotion that Star Wars fans have for him, his character. And it was his ability to sort of relate it to his own passions and his own uh, fandom for various things, whether it be the Beatles or classic TV shows or movies. He was able to say, you know what? These people feel the same way about me and these movies the way I do about, you know, uh, great British comedy from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a beautiful eulogy there, Jason. You just <laughs> for our long lost Luke Skywalker. <laughs> well, recently departed. Uh, definitely force, recently Luke. departed. Uh, yes. That's that's for darn sure. Guy, so, I, I, I almost heard an organ playing in the background as you were. Saying all that stuff, um, but uh, no, it, very accurate uh, way of summing up how Mark's whole approach to fans and the legacy of Star Wars has been. Of course, I think Mark went through a long period of time where he didn't think about Star Wars at all. A lot of us did. There was some downtime with Star Wars, believe me. 
you know, it's so in your face and omnipresent these days. But, boy, you know, back in the mid-80s to uh, the mid-90s, Star Wars was hard to come across unless you were really looking for it. And yeah. even even during some of that period, if you were really looking for it, it was like, you know, striking gold when you finally found it. It was rare. So with well, there's being, no Internet. I mean, I mean, there was there was yes. nothing to keep the fans connected. Right. Right. The way there is now. Yeah. And pop culture had that certain shelf life that uh, it, it doesn't have anymore. Things just live on forever now and yes. become franchises. And uh, that's what it's all about nowadays. And Star Wars is king of the franchises in our book. So Star Wars had to kind of find its way back into Mark's life. I think the first time it ever really started to get on his radar was in 97 when the special edition releases came out. And they actually had a world premiere in Hollywood, a red carpet premiere for Star Wars, which had never happened before. When the original Star Wars was released in 1977, it only showed up on about 30-something theaters, on 30-something screens, and there was no big red carpet world premiere for it. That just wasn't part of the game, really. And uh, so 20 years later, they finally had that world premiere, and everyone was there. And I remember Mark commenting, saying, wow, you know, this is great to see that this level of devotion still exists for something like Star Wars. Bringing Star Wars back in 1997, kids, if you're listening, uh, who didn't live through it, it was a big gamble. I remember the front cover of Entertainment Weekly at that point in time saying uh, that Star Wars was the biggest gamble of 1997. And uh, nobody knew if it was going to pay off. But lo and behold, they put A New Hope out there, and it was number one at the box office for the entire month of January. So, uh, yeah. And then that just, you know, like dominoes fell. Then Empire came out and then Jedi and it was back. It was like, wow, you really felt like Star Wars was back at that time. My God, and, then you walk into the grocery store and you got the bag of Frito-Lays and there's a mail away for an Obi-Wan spirit action figure. Yes. And that's how back it was. Yes. And I, I think another thing, Jim, that influenced uh, Mark was his kids. Uh, particularly, you know, his 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 son, Nathan, who was at such an age by the time the, the special editions came out and and shortly thereafter, he was really starting to become a Star Wars fan in and of himself. And I think that that was also part of Mark's turnaround. I feel I could be wrong, but I think that was also a big part of it. The you first know, time son, I ever yeah. saw Mark Hamill in person was at Star Wars Celebration Japan. The day before the convention opened, I was there and I was helping set up the official PIX booth. And we had, uh, I mean, if you remember the official PIX booths at these things, there's just these gigantic, uh, huge setups. And uh, there is a general area behind everything. And that's where a lot of the actors would gather and everything. And there were very few of us in there. And uh, Mark came in and sat down, and he was with his son, Nathan. And this is 2008. Uh Uh And so Mark sat there, and he just, I mean, really just started talking. 
And so anyone who was in there just sort of stood around and started staring at Mark. And he was just sitting at a table talking about Star Wars, and he was looking at pictures. And he says, I don't know who any of these guys are. And he starts saying all the nicknames <laughs> oh, that yeah. they would have. And then he said, but Nathan knows them all. He tells me who are there. You know, there was this one guy. We, we had the ash can, and we had the – he was saying all these different weird names. And um, yeah, there was butt face, butt and there was Lobster Man. Lobster Man was a good one, yeah. And he said, Nathan, was there really something called calamari? He's like, <laughs> I didn't see the dipping sauce on the set. It, it was just, he was just riffing. And so yeah. I saw that. That was the first time I, I, I heard Mark really talk about Star Wars in forever. And um, I was in awe. And uh, because when he first walked in, I'll be honest with you, he just came, kind of came in. He was like, eh, and he was wearing a baseball hat and sunglasses. And I didn't recognize him right away. Mm. You know? It wasn't like, hey, Mark Hamill, ladies and gentlemen. He just kind of came in. Well, that was during the era where he was wearing those Hawaiian shirts a lot. Do you remember that? He was wearing the blue shirts and then he had a leather jacket he wore a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And. So he rolled in, and he was just like, uh, you know, like he had just woken up or something. He said that. But, I mean, there was just this feeling about him like he owned the place. Mm-hmm. So I was like, who is this mm-hmm. guy who thinks he owns the place? And I was just like, oh, shh, that's Luke Skywalker. He does own the place. Yes, yes, yes. Here, I gave him my watch. Uh, <laughs> you don't know me, but I want you to have this. Yeah. Um, but it was it was that moment, you know, of of realization that, uh, you know, here's Mark, and he's he's being really funny and loose and everything about it, but he really didn't know anything about the characters and and the the creatures yeah. and all that. He would just he only had his memories from right. what he carried with him from the yeah he didn't have the he didn't have the lore and all the you know the the institutional knowledge you know of 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 star wars fandom and all that stuff but he's become so well connected and much well you know more well versed and has just been an, an an awesome uh He's like a lightning rod for the excitement around Star Wars fandom. And, of course, you know, bringing it back to The Last Jedi uh, after The Force Awakens and this this, this, this huge buildup for the return of his character. You know, The Last Jedi was the big was the big payoff. And, you know, that's where some people have, uh, you know, sort of said, well, no, it actually wasn't the payoff we wanted. And others, you know, have said, no, this is this is maybe not what we wanted, but it's what we needed. Uh, as fans and for the franchise and, you know, to continue. And, and by the way, I still hear, Jim, I still hear from listeners, I know you do too, but particularly people that I that I work with and I see day to day, talk to me about your buddy Mark Koo and his, <laughs> uh, his, his time here on Rebel Force Radio because, you know, it came out just in the, in the weeks after the release of uh, The Last Jedi and there was just so much, uh, you know, concern and, 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 and excitement and dread. And, you know, it was just the whole gamut of emotions when the movie came out. And, uh, you know, Mark, John Marku comes on the show and just kind of baptizes us in the spirit of, you know, all things Joseph Campbell and Hero's Journey. And um, but anyway, I, I still hear from people that are like, when are you going to bring that guy back? Oh, yeah. Well, he'll he'll be coming back for sure. I, I hang out with John Marcoux all the time. 
And yeah. uh, as a matter of fact, we did give away a bunch of uh, copies of his Bruce Lee book, Poise the Pummel, mm-hmm. the unauthorized illustrated biography of Bruce Lee. Um, and, and I have the books in hand now. So I, I have everyone who won. I have uh, your addresses now. And uh, they'll be shipping by this weekend. So be looking for Poise the Pummel by John Marcoux to show up at your doorstep. I, that's it, though. I think we're completely out of books. I don't know if uh, John's going to do another run of these. Maybe he needs a new publisher or something. But uh, it's, a, it's a great book. And he's got a Bob Marley book coming out that's in a similar style, sort of a comic book hmm. kind of style. And uh, they're, they're really cool books. So uh, those will be shipping to our winners this weekend. And I just want to thank John Marcoux. And uh, everyone who, uh, who uh, entered to win. Well, let's talk about The Last Jedi and the big documentary, The Director and the Jedi. This yes. is available uh, in the on the home video release. Obviously, it'll be on the, 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 the Blu-ray and the DVD that'll be coming out in the next week uh, or so. But um, this documentary is is right up there for me. Uh, you know, there were some interesting concepts on some of the previous, uh, you know, the, the the prequels in particular. They, of course, started out with that great documentary, The Beginning, which literally shows George in his office day one starting to write the, uh, the, the prequel films. And then they went into episode two, I think you had From Puppets to Pixels which was somewhat of a feature-length documentary, not quite, that kind of watched the evolution of, you know, uh, practical creatures to uh, digital uh, creatures. And then for episode three, I think it was like uh, sort of the uh, the journey of 30 seconds of film, yes. how it went from, you know, a concept and a storyboard to, you know, showing up in the, in the final features. I, I, I can't remember what the... 30 seconds was part of the duel, wasn't it, between Anakin and Obi-Wan? I think so. But I think that one went a little bit too in-depth because then they would feature the uh, cook who uh, serves the crew their lunch. Uh, (laughs) There they are in action serving lunch to the crew. And I was like, ah, talk about Star Wars. (laughs) Right, right. This one was really uh, all-encompassing. It really begins with... Uh, Ryan Johnson, you know, just starting to uh, work on the film. He he recounts, you know, where he was when uh, when he when he when he got the gig, and what, what Jim what continues to fascinate me about this, and what I kind of want to shout from the rooftops, is the fact that he was done writing this film before anyone had seen. Well, not anyone, but anyone in the general public had seen The Force Awakens. This movie, The Last Jedi, was not a response in any way, shape, manner, or form to any fan reaction to The Force Awakens. This is true. This is true. So for those of you saying that this is a a big middle finger to the fans who loved Force Awakens, he didn't know. Aha. He didn't know how you were going to react to The Force Awakens. Yes, he didn't know how he was going to react to The Force Awakens, for that matter. He hadn't even seen the finished film at that point. It was still in production. It's really interesting to hear a lot of uh, Ryan's take on how he was able to write that script. Because he stuck to that script 
through the entire process from the moment he wrote it through all the pre-production through actually shooting the film he stuck with that script i don't think he really it 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 doesn't show signs of evolution like other star wars scripts always have it was just it's a great point it does not it, it he stuck really to his doesn't. guns he, he did, and he just broke down the story. I think Ryan has a really personal and uh, interesting way that he breaks down stories before preparing a script in the script writing process itself. Um, I've heard I've heard a lot of criticisms about Ryan's script writing, um, but uh, I think that he just has this process he's really comfortable with and doesn't know any other way to do it. He wouldn't be comfortable doing it any other way. It's just the way he approaches his art. And uh, I don't think that he really took uh, 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 many uh, uh, shortcuts with anything. You know, I I, I heard a recent thing today. I won't say who told me it, but um, he was saying that... The idea, and this is something that has been probably talked about more in the novel than, and we'll get into the novel, I think, next week. We'll really take a deep dive into the novel. But if I could just touch on one thing right here, is that um, Kylo and Ray touch each other through the Force. Uh-huh. And at that moment, they transferred experience and training to each other and and knowledge about each other you know memories huh. it's complicated this is this is in the novelization you're talking about it is the novelization essentially says and again i'll have specific examples next week but if i could paraphrase it says that because ray and kylo contacted each other through the force Ray absorbed Kylo's training, so it took her up a notch in the Force, in her her way that she uses the Force, made her stronger in the Force. Well, that's kind of stupid. That's kind of stupid. I, mean, I feel like that's something that they threw in. That just feels very, uh, very typical of the. Sorry, but of the of the uh, literature world. Of of Star Wars, it just it just reeks of that. I I, I I don't buy that. That's a concept out of Ryan Johnson's head. I don't. So, so she absorbs his training, his training, his life. So like through osmosis, his private memories, forcemosis. So his private memories. The criticism is rather than structuring a story properly and having characters actually work their way to find each other they connect this way and it's just you know i don't believe that for a second i never had any doubt about the connection between kylo and ray because they're sort of on a similar journey they both feel very alone they both feel isolated they're both um in some ways victims but they they are thrown into these situations that are much bigger than themselves and the only one who could possibly understand them is each other. The only one who could possibly even begin to understand for Kylo what he's going through is Ray and, and, and vice versa. And that kind of adversity 
uh, and that sort of connection creates strange bedfellows. You, you, you know, you think about uh, Jim, former presidents of our own United States, who you know at, at one time are, are in fact our our history of presidential uh, of the former presidents is 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 replete with this. One time, bitter rivals end up being good friends because it's such a small fraternity of people that understand what that kind of world and that sort of pressure is like. And so when you have that sort of common experience, it can create bridges where there, where there were none. And when I look at those, you know, what do they call them? Uh, uh, force time, you know, like FaceTime, those force time sessions. I see these two uh, leaning on each other because both being so desperate to find someone who sort of gets it, gets them. That's great, Jason. That's fantastic. I, I think that's a beautiful way of articulating what makes the connection between those two uh, poignant and important to them on a personal level. And it leads me to believe that I think, I'm still thinking that this trilogy is going to wrap up with those two together. That's right. I, I didn't say Raylo, but I just said Raylo. Uh, but uh, I, I really, you know, I think a, a combination of their powers together could be the thing that actually saves this flipping galaxy once and for all. And well, provides, we don't really want it to be saved. Provides we? legitimate balance. Um, yeah. Well, um, maybe I do. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you could bring in... Uh, some other sort of uh, antagonist from like uh, another dimension or something, yeah. or like like or the world between worlds, like something will pop up out of that. You know, before this before this leaves me, we've got lots of clips uh, that we want to play from the from the documentary. But I, I, the thing that is spoke to me the loudest, and you know, I've been on a terror through all of these bonus features from the. The directors, you know, from the commentary to the documentaries and the featurettes and the deleted scenes and all that, I can't really necessarily say, oh, this this particular thought came from this piece or that piece. It's just sort of all blending together for me. But the one thing that you hear Ryan talk about, and I believe it's in the documentary, where he explains how he began the writing process, and that was to list out all of the characters from The Force Awakens. Knowing that he's writing the middle chapter where they need to come up against some of the biggest and toughest, uh, you know, adversity that they've ever had and never known. So he needed to list out all the characters and then determine what would be the biggest challenge or challenges to those characters based on what we know of them. And when he got to Ray, he, he kind of sort of settled on two things. Uh, one of the bit most bitter pills for her to swallow would be that she is from nothing. She doesn't have any lineage. That, that would be too easy. Ryan talks about that would be so easy for Ray if she was a Kenobi, if she was a Skywalker, if she was, you know, a solo. It, w- it would have just been so easy. No, the toughest thing for that character would be for her to have to find her own path. Well, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Because I've been thinking about this a lot. 
Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's trying to work around that whole idea that Ray's parents were actually drunk junk dealers who sold off their offspring for beer money. Yeah, we've all been there. Well, you know, I, I, there was some desperate weekends in college, let me tell you, that if I had a kid, you never know. So who am I to be all preachy, right? But here's the thing. I've tried to work my way around that and, and try to make sense of it all. Now, let me throw this concept at you, because we already know about Anakin Skywalker and the fact that he was born of a virgin birth. His mm-hmm. mother gave birth to him, but there was no father. He was conceived by the midi-chlorians. And I know, oh, the midi-chlorians, that's a terrible word to bring up. But you know what? Let's just consider it, because it is part of Star Wars lore and the mythology and the fact that these midi-chlorians do exist, and they can make babies. So (laughs) I was thinking, maybe Ray, you know, she does have these two degenerate parents, you know. But what if the Force for some reason repeated itself and it was another conception courtesy of the midi-chlorians but yet ray's parents thought well she's you know obviously our kid you know there's been nobody else you know without knowledge of the midi-chlorians shmi skywalker certainly didn't have any idea how uh, anakin was born so maybe they just assumed that ray was legitimately their child and it's just the force works in mysterious ways and uh as it turns out uh the force didn't vet the parents properly and didn't realize they were drunks upon realizing they were drunks. They realized the force had to work in a way to get Ray away from those people. <laughs> so the parents sold Ray to Unkar Plutt for drinking money. And this is all by design of the force, ladies and gentlemen. So Ray is now alone and by herself so she can find her own way and provide that light to the galaxy. So in essence, Ray is, yes, she is on her, on her own. She is trying to find her own way. But she is, like Anakin Skywalker, conceived by the midi-chlorians and could be considered to be a chosen one if anyone wants to reference the old prophecy. I don't know. Does that seem like... I mean, it seems pretty complicated to me. Well, and- I, I, I like part of it. I like part of it. Um, the one thing that I have never struggled with is why Ray is such a good fighter. You know, I picture Ray. You know, how old does she look when she's being sold to Unkar? Uh, five or six years old. Right. I, I picture Ray... Uh, glomming on to, you know, her, her staff, her stick, you know, maybe a smaller version as a kid and just growing up with that, you know, that's been her right hand. That's been, uh, she's learned, she's watched other, other fighters. She's, she's picked up things. She's a survivor. She's been on her own. It's no stretch to me that she knows how to handle herself in a fight. You know, when we first uh, have that great encounter with her, you know, when 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 uh, Finn thinks he's going to go in and save the day and save her, and then he stops and he realizes, you know, she can handle herself in a fight, and then she goes after him. I, you know, I've never struggled with that. So you switch the, 
the staff for a lightsaber. This is somebody who has had to raise themselves, who's had to grow up very quickly and 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 learn how to handle uh, all kinds of uh, scumbags, you know, throughout the galaxy. I, I've never struggled with it. I don't actually need her to have any kind of uh, leg up in terms of her force abilities or midichlorians or immaculate conceptions or anything like that. I think this is someone who uh, was, was, was chosen by the force, not necessarily by immaculate conception, but um, yeah. there are going to be certain ones, characters, there are, you know, certain people that, that display a certain level of ability. But I think when you add the force abilities plus the innate organic uh, instincts that she's had to cultivate to be a survivor. It, it, I don't struggle with it at all. What if it was revealed in The Last Jedi, in the Mirror Cave, mm-hmm. that Ray was like Anakin, conceived by the Force? Like, how would they do that? I'd be disappointed. You would be. I would be. More than knowing that she's a no one from nowhere? Here's the thing. This is the this is the, this is the, the, how I'm approaching uh, dealing with uh, Ryan Johnson's story is that Ryan's logic, whether it's the the, the commentary or the documentary or, or any of his, his appearances, Ryan's logic is very solid. It's I think incredibly difficult to argue with it when he says, "Look, the hardest thing for Ray to have to deal with would be." Two things. One, she's from nothing. And I love the line that Kylo says to her. You have no place in this story. I love almost breaking the fourth wall in a sense. In that moment, you have no place in the story. You're nothing. And then he turns it around, but not to me. You're special to me. And that makes you special. And that's when he reaches out. The other thing that Ryan says that would be the toughest thing for Ray to deal with is that after the death of Han, she puts all of her eggs and all of her hopes and dreams into the Luke basket. And she gets there and she meets the legend and he completely lets her down. So Ryan is using Luke to serve the development of the character of Ray. Whereas I think the breakdown for a lot of fans is and for, when I say a lot of fans, I mean fans of the original trilogy, the, the, the original you know, generation of Star Wars fans. They look at it and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you letting this newbie be the fulcrum or be the, the, the central point and Luke is there to serve her? No, no, no. She's there to evolve Luke. And that's where I think the major disconnect is. When Ryan was writing that list, of those characters from The Force Awakens and determining what would be the biggest things to challenge them in the next chapter, I guarantee you, Luke, if he was on the list, he was at the bottom of the list, and the and, and his he was there to put over Rey. Luke's purpose is to push Rey onto her journey, her hero's journey, not the other way around. And I think that's the bitter pill for a lot of fans to swallow is you've got this new character that is not there to serve this legend. The legend is there to serve the new character. If you buy that, then Ryan's logic, I think, is very sound. 
That's only if you agree with the premise. And I think disagreeing with the premise is very reasonable. If you're approaching this from, hey, this is our chance to see our hero, Luke Skywalker, back in action again. I don't think that's the way that Ryan Johnson ever approached this project. But, okay, now, being that that original trilogy generation fan who obviously reveres Luke Skywalker, and I know you do too, but I'm just playing mm-hmm. devil's advocate here with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. We've always referred to it as the Skywalker saga. Why is it so necessary to push Luke out of the picture and shine the, the spotlight on Ray to conclude the three trilogy arc? Well, I would say because I don't think that the new regime of, of Disney Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy... I don't think they see it as the Skywalker saga. I think George has talked about the episodic films, uh, one through six, being the story, the, the, the saga of the Skywalker family. But I don't think they do. And, you know, for anyone to be surprised that our heroes are dying in droves in these films, uh, for anyone who's surprised by that, you shouldn't be. Because from day one, Harrison and Mark, particularly Mark, and going back to his publicity that he did for The Force Awakens, said, you know, we're here to pass the baton on to the next generation. We're here to... It's someone else's story now. Right. That goes way back. That does. So no one should be surprised by that. Okay, yeah, no one is. But in essence, though, the, the baton can still be passed without the extermination of the legendary characters totally and 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 to um and you said this at some point last week i can't remember which show it was but you said why are you taking them all away from us we just got them back (laughs) yeah and and i think you know obviously there was a priority to leave leia is the last one of the original standing so she would serve as a matriarch Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, she probably would have survived episode nine if reality didn't intervene. Harsh reality didn't intervene. Right. And so now with uh, with her taking out of the picture, you almost wish that Luke was spared execution in The Last Jedi to carry through to the end what his father started off in the beginning with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. And then that makes it a nice, clean line. But I guess, you know, with uh, Carrie passing is, is just uh. made, has really tied a lot of hands, I believe. Um, there was somebody sent me this, uh, this, this uh, investigative report. Uh, it was, uh, did Mark Hamill know that Luke Skywalker was going to be killed in The Last Jedi? Did he know before the premiere? There's this uh, before the premiere. Yeah, there's this because and so then they showed a clip of Mark on the red carpet before the movie and he was jumping up and down. He's like, I'm so excited for everyone to see this interview. Then they showed a clip of Mark after the movie standing in front of the media with Ryan Johnson standing to Ryan's left. And Mark had a look on his face like someone drove over his puppy with a semi. And he was staring at Ryan, and at one point he gives Ryan a side eye, like, 
I'm going to take you out back and kick your ass right now. <laughs> and I mean, with this all in mind, I'm like, holy crap, did Mark know? According to everything that plays out in the documentary and in the commentary track for the film, it, it you know, Ryan even says at one point something about Mark being hesitant about Luke, uh, you know, and, and the, the fate of Luke. He specifically makes that known. And you know that Mark knew. There's a behind-the-scenes shot of Mark in wardrobe, and he's joking around about it before he goes out to shoot that scene. And he says mm-hmm. the scene that should not be, you know, it shall not be mentioned. Yeah, the uh, scene that should be not be named. The scene that dare not speak its name. I'm going to make them sorry they ever came up with that idea. Yeah, he was definitely salty about it. That You know, the the... Behind the scenes features make absolutely no apologies for they don't they don't try to gloss over the fact that Mark was very, very uncomfortable or, as he put it, fundamentally disagreed with everything that Ryan Johnson had set out for his character. But he wanted to be the professional. And what what Ryan comes back and says, he says, you know, I think at one point he says, I'll never uh, I, I'll never be able to repay Mark Hamill for being the professional that he was and and working so hard to make my vision a reality when he really disagreed with it. We have a clip of Ryan Johnson. This is from the uh, making of documentary, The Director and the Jedi. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Ryan Johnson talking about Mark Hamill's reservations about how his character, Luke Skywalker, had evolved. That's cut three. Mark, very understandably, wasn't thrilled about some of the choices in the script. The big things being the place that Luke's head is at, the fact that he's not the Luke Skywalker that we knew, and, frankly, the fact that he dies at the end. Then it was just a matter of really being honest with myself. Like, is, is that what's best for this trilogy is that what should happen here and just questioning that over and over again yeah i don't think that you know ryan comes across in two different ways for me he comes across one as as you said jim never wavering but at the same time i don't believe he ever took it lightly either i think he was acutely aware of what he was doing at every moment there's never a a time in that documentary where i don't feel uh the heaviness or the weight or the burden or the you know a lack of awareness of the position that he was in as the the writer and the director of this film this was i guess where i i really get frustrated with some of the criticism is it's almost as if this guy was just, you know, just throwing spaghetti on the wall and hoping something would stick. I, I, you might fundamentally, like Mark Hamill did, disagree with his intentions, but you can't take away from the fact that it was very thought out. And the history of Star Wars has a funny way of repeating itself. Of course, George Lucas had to struggle with telling Sir Alec Guinness that his character was going to be killed off in the middle oh, yeah. of A New Hope. And this was something that wasn't on Alec Guinness's radar at all because the fourth draft has Obi-Wan surviving the duel with Vader. Obi-Wan makes a, a really uh, 
slick move and jumps on the other side of a blast door and closes a blast door and takes off and uh, joins everyone on the Falcon. And then he's there. He's present for the Battle of Yavin. He's hanging out in the war room with Leia and 3PO and Dodonna and that whole gang. But George realized that he had nothing to do with Obi-Wan after that point and just decided to kill off the character. I believe it was Marsha Lucas, his wife, who really sort of drove that idea home for him. And so mm-hmm. George had to sit down with Sir Alec and say, yeah, we're killing you. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Sir Alec Guinness was bristling about it, but that's just what George had told him. And uh, it's funny to, to think of Ryan Johnson. Here's this guy. He's... You know, he's a young guy, definitely original trilogy generation kid. He's only 42, 43 years old, you know. And uh, it's my age. And, uh, you know, younger than me. And I'm a kid who grew up with Luke Skywalker. I couldn't imagine sitting down with Mark Hamill and telling him, hey, we're going to make you a grump and then uh, we're going to kill you. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, it, of course, I'm really boiling that all down. I, I think there's much more to the character of Luke Skywalker in the last Absolutely. Than just that. Because yeah. I look way deeper beneath the surface. And I'll tell you, the, the novelization and this commentary track and this making of documentary is really starting to uh, shine a light on a, a lot of uh, different insights into the character of Luke Skywalker in a big way, in a huge way. Mark Hamill talks about it in the documentary itself. Yeah, and you know one of the things that Ryan points out is that you know he does not look at Luke's exile as being anything remotely passive or cowardly. He believes that Luke, you know, that Luke's choice there is active. It's a struggle. It is him making the choice that he was not able to make on Cloud City or, or, or on Dagobah when he decided to run off and save his friends. And Leota's saying, you must not go. And Obi-Wan is telling him, don't go. But he goes off anyway. This is him making the mature choice to stay out of the fight, to let the universe balance itself out. Because he believes that the Jedi's intervention yeah. just does nothing but exacerbate and make the problem worse. The lesson... And- that he should have learned back in Empire Strikes Back is finally manifesting itself in the older, more mature Luke who's looking back on his failure. You know, that's unfair of Yoda to say that Luke didn't necessarily... I mean, he doesn't really... Yoda doesn't say it to Luke, but he certainly suggests that Luke was running away from failure rather than embracing it. Did you get that from Yoda when he said that? That in Last Jedi? That Luke was failing to learn from his failures. That that was a failure in itself. Yeah, I, I think that what, what Yoda was was saying was, hey, okay, you lost Ben Solo, but we can't lose Ray. So snap out of it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Learn from your failure and step up to the plate and be what Ray needs you to be. But by Luke exiling himself, doesn't mm-hmm. he prove that he did learn from his failure because his failure was rushing off to save his friends. Well, and I think Yoda's saying that, that he took away the wrong lesson. You know, I think Yoda's saying, "Hey, this isn't the lesson you should have learned." That's interesting. You know, there's there's different ways that I'm I'm starting to interpret what Yoda was saying to Luke when they were sitting there watching that tree burn. 
Yeah. That's a, that's a conversation that deserves a lot more um, analysis. So maybe maybe I'll isolate that and we'll play that. Yeah, next I, in, a, in that line, I just I just love when he's talking about. He says, uh, "We are what they grow beyond, or what they." I God, what is the line? I did. It's just I I love it so much, and I I wish I could commit it to memory, but I always get it. You know, Yoda vernacular sometimes takes a while to sink in. What, what did he say? We are what they grow beyond. That is the true definition burden i think the true burden the true burden of, of being a master. The master yeah yeah you know uh the whole idea of being a master is you want your apprentice you know this is about like being a parent you want your children to have a life that's better than the life that you had and you want them to learn from your mistakes. And Luke was too concerned about being perfect, too concerned about being the legend, too concerned about doing everything right. Uh, and, 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 and one could look and see the parallels with the Jedi Council and the, you know, the whole Jedi establishment of the prequels. Uh, you know, Yoda was starting to smell around there and say, you know, too arrogant. We have become too sure of ourselves. Um, and I think Mace Windu typifies that. That's why I've never really cared for Mace Windu. A Sith a Lord? Yeah. yeah. It takes him three movies before he's like, I think somebody's up to no good around here. <laughs> <laughs> three movies. Oh, my God. That's right. And then, yeah, right. Oh, well, we could go on for <laughs> about that. Let's you know, get to so some we talked clips. a little yeah. bit about mm-hmm. uh, Mark and his hangups, mm-hmm. about uh, the changes to Luke in The Last Jedi. So let's hear from Mark himself. Okay. I, I was shocked that this documentary included so much of that stuff that we had heard the studio's upset at Mark because he's being critical of the movie. He's being honest about his feelings and uh, here it is, right in the documentary. Mark Hamill expressing his reservations about the changes to his character. My character always represented hope and optimism. And now here I am, very pessimistic and disillusioned and sort of demoralized. No matter how this comes out, if I'm wonderful, it's because of him. And if it's terrible, it's also his fault. <laughs> I trust him. I have to trust him. I'm firmly in Ryan's camp now, having told him, I hate everything you've done to my character and disavow it. (laughs) But once I got that off my chest, I said, now lead me, oh guru. Yeah. Lead me, oh guru. And, you know, as I said, Ryan Johnson, eternally grateful for Mark being the professional that he is to say, okay, I'm going to put these feelings aside and I'm going to do whatever I can to put over your vision and bring it to life. And, uh, you know, when you watch the commentary, you see all these beats uh, that Mark has to hit uh, to really make that happen. And he does. And, you know, there's, you know, Ryan Johnson. I mean, one of the things about the the uh, the audio commentary and, Mar- and and Ryan even sort of throws shade on himself saying, I know all you're hearing me say is, oh, how beautiful this performance is and how great this is. But. You know, this is a guy who's seeing the movie now for the umpteenth time before anyone in the public has seen it, which is also interesting context to have as he's talking about it, which I love because he's not sitting there talking about the fan reaction to it all. He's just being very from the heart talking about his experience in making this movie. Uh, I think if he did a commentary now, it'd be a, 
a much different story. Oh, I don't know about that because he certainly hit that interview circuit and did a few very high-profile Q&As after the film was released. And I note there's a certain amount of consistency with the answers he gave in those interview sessions when you compare them to stuff we're hearing in this documentary and in the audio commentary. I, I notice a, there's a real real consistency. So... Uh, yeah, he, he as you said earlier, Jim, he never wavered, you know, and he and he's still not uh, wavering. Uh, uh, but but, I, he, you know, I think I, I dubbed it, you know, the apology tour. And I, yeah. I said, my gosh, you know, the guy's going out and doing the making the rounds in some of these podcasts and on, in interviews with some of these websites. And uh, and I think maybe after seeing the some of these features on the on the home video release, I, I, I see the consistency. And it makes me feel less and less like he was doing an apology tour. Essentially, when he was just going out, he was just going out and explaining himself. And we now have the historical reference to see that these are feelings he had long before uh, anyone had seen the film. So, uh, you know, again, you can argue about his premise, but his logic, once he sets himself into that premise, is, um, is, is pretty solid. So what else do we got here? We got uh, well, just a few. Here. These are oh, just a few yeah. fun little highlights okay. that I pulled from the documentary. The first clip is Ryan Johnson giving Carrie Fisher direction, and as you'll hear, Ryan is he's channeling the maker here mm. a little bit. And let's do one more. You ready for this direction? Yes, sir. Faster, less intense. Was I intense? No, not at all. <laughs> I don't think Carrie got the reference there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I, she was like, it was like too intense. You know, she's like really in the zone, you know, thinking about right. and And he's referencing old George Lucas stuff. You know, <laughs> he's, his, he thinks his, he's his only clever. right. Yeah, that was the big criticism that the actors had. Was it Harrison or was it was it uh, Mark that w- walked? The, I think that kind of gave life to that faster, more intense uh <laughs> I think they all did. It was probably Carrie more than anyone because I remember I remember a documentary. uh, Boy, I can't put my finger exactly on which one it was, but it was something that came out around the time of the special edition. And she said George didn't say much. He would just say faster, more intense. We were thinking about putting some horn a horn on his uh, on his chair where he could just beep it once for faster, beep it twice for more intense. (laughs) She said something like that. I don't Mm -hmm, remember, but mm -hmm. that was you know it it became kind of a running gag. I think. Harrison Ford is famous for saying, George, you could put this on paper, but you can't say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. They were all they were all busting his chops throughout the making of that movie. You know, leave ye of little faith. Little did they know. Faster, less intense. Was I intense? No, not at all. There's that clip. Carrie Fisher uh, totally not getting the joke that Ryan Johnson is going because she's a professional. She's in the zone. She's like, she, was I too intense? She doesn't get the joke. So uh, they ask Carrie Fisher, well, what do you think about Ryan Johnson? Tell me a little bit about working with Ryan. He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ryan is, is, is equally, and I don't know if we have a clip on this, but Ryan is equally uh, candid <laughs> about Carrie. Now, no, actually, what, what what Carrie later will say is that uh, he has many bad qualities, uh, but she's just not aware of any of them. Um, so I think <laughs> so she that does. she was just joking, you know, obviously. Yeah, of course, of course, uh, she was a big fan of his, and he said, "There's a few times in the documentary where he's, you know, he's like, why, 
He said, I just, you know, fell in love with her from the beginning. And I just, I just loved her. He goes, even when she was just being a giant pain in the ass, he said, I still, I still loved her. And as much of a struggle as it was to work with her, I still loved her. So you you definitely get the sense that Carrie could, you know, hold her own. She was no wallflower. She was no pushover. And I think Um, he did a great job with her character. There was just something that was more authentic, I believe, about the Leia we see in The Last Jedi as opposed to the one we see in The Force Awakens. I think Carrie, her acting chops were slicker in The Last Jedi, and I think Ryan Johnson could take a lot of credit for that. I think Mm -hmm. um, just everything about Carrie in The Last Jedi, the wardrobe was better for her. Her overall look was better. She just... uh, When I see her in these documentaries and stuff i was just like wow look she just looks so great the camera is really liking carrie fisher right now and so it just makes it so much harder to deal with the fact that she's not going to be around to be seen ever again in a star wars film or anywhere else it's 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 still a bitter pill to swallow my friend Mm -hmm. yeah no, no there's no question and i and i agree with you i think that she is so much more authentically leia in this film than she was in the force awakens. Now we don't have the benefit of a documentary, you know, of this magnitude uh, relative to the force awakens. Um, But it does look like uh, Ryan is a big fan of rehearsing scenes, working scenes out between actors. And I think that that, that, that shows in the performances that he gets. Yes, for sure. I mean, you even see some, early footage of Daisy and Mark working out scenes just in the backyard there in England at the studio, you know, before, while the sets are still being built and uh, Ryan's taking them aside and and working out things with them before they're ever even cameras rolling. One thing I really loved seeing in this is of course, anything with Mark Hamill and they show some behind the scenes footage of what it was like for him to shoot that really emotional moment in the flashback where he's watching the temple burn down and R2 is there and he puts his hand on R2's dome and he breaks down and you see after Ryan Johnson says cut you see Mark struggling to sort of recompose himself after being so emotional on camera. And I'm sure that this is a common sight scene on film sets when heavy emotional scenes are being shot. It just seems like it's very rare that the doors open up for us to get a peek at what's going on there. And uh, to see there's Mark, a he's, similar he's I'm sorry, Jay, but he's just yeah. down on he's just down yeah. on his hands and knees and he's looking down and he's got his Jedi robe on and the hoods up and you can't see Mark. You can't see his face, but you can just tell he's trying to just dial it all back because he, he committed so much of his own emotion where a guy like that gets it from. I don't know. But to yeah. commit himself emotionally so much to the point where he actually is physically incapable of walking away from the set after the director says cut that shows me an actor who is fully committed to his role no no question about it in fact there's a a similar moment that ryan has with daisy ridley who's also uh seen in filming a quite an emotional moment of the film and uh you know he has to kind of walk over and sort of uh give her a little little pat a little rub you know on the shoulder there right uh as she comes back from that but 
you know, when you when you channel that, whatever it is, whether you're plucking nose hairs or the Joey Tribbiani pulling a hair out of your whatever, <laughs> what, what did Joey do? I don't know. It's a family. He had a he, he would he would he would have a pair of tweezers in his pocket and he would like pluck leg hairs out or something in his groin or I don't know. Anyway, it's funny. Uh, friends reference there but at any rate whatever you're doing or you're 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 channeling or thinking of something in your own life uh, you know it's a it's a you know the depth of emotion and you can't always uh snap back the other thing that uh he reveals is uh particularly a lot of those uh scenes with ray the force back scenes it was just very cold in those nights and uh you know uh, daisy out there and bare arms and uh in her wardrobe uh you know suffering you know, through the conditions sure some a lot of long nights particularly those those night shots uh they were up you know shooting all night long four or five in the morning yeah you could clearly see her breath and she's just soaking wet and mm-hmm. so uh yeah physically challenging for her what i found interesting was that adam driver was on set with her when she was communicating yeah. with kylo ren from the the location on i to Ireland that, uh, you know, obviously Adam Driver was never required to be on set at Octu because Kylo never physically made an appearance there, but he was there to, so, so she's just not talking to air or, you know, having a producer read the Kylo lines. So Adam Driver was actually there. So they were acting off of each other. Which is a long cry from the prequels when George Lucas would be just like, oh, yeah, we'll paint him in in post, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You know, they actually had yeah. Adam there to act in a scene that he was not required to be on camera for. So that's yeah. another sign of full commitment by the actors to provide legitimate emotional response. Well, and and it's clear, too, that, that Ryan believed that the film was going to be kind of made or or, or broken on those scenes and he he went to the the nth degree to make sure that they were done and done well and authentically and you know that was the that was the crux that was how you had to you know he really wanted to establish a relationship between these two and yet he couldn't be limited to having them literally physically together that wouldn't have really lent itself well to the story so this was, I, I think, a very clever solution in the way to really make it convincing, as you say, Jim, was to actually have the actors there on set with each other. She on set there in the, in the, the you know, the Star Destroyer and him there on Octu in Ireland. So, uh, yeah, for sure, just just total commitment to that establishing that relationship. Really strong I, stuff. I, I do have a thought, and it really occurred to me as we were talking last week about you know perhaps the future of star wars animation and this idea of a of a show that you know an animated series that takes place between episodes six and seven and and that is something that sort of unites the luke skywalker character and the anakin skywalker character and its potential play in an animated series. And that is what the Clone Wars did was it fulfilled this promise to us of the Anakin Skywalker legend. We got to see Anakin as the the hero of the galaxy that we had heard about. We never really saw it in the films. We never really got to see 
the Anakin Skywalker of you know the potential of the you know uh, he was the greatest star pilot in the galaxy, a mm-hmm. cutting warrior, and you know and a good friend. We never saw that. It was the Clone Wars that fulfilled that for us. And I just wonder if we're going to get a similar experience with Luke. Yes, we saw him do great things in Return of the Jedi. There's no question about that. But he was just on the verge at that moment of of, of becoming a true Jedi Knight. And then we see him in Force Awakens and Last Jedi where, you know, it's not we have this big gap of when he was the legend Luke Skywalker. And I'm really hopeful that, you know, we'll get to see that play out that, you know, maybe Dave Filoni will will bring us the legend of Luke Skywalker like he was able to deliver the legend of Anakin Skywalker. Wow. Do I uh, really love the idea of that? I think it's a long shot to happen. Uh, You don't think if they do a resistance uh, animated series, it takes place between six and seven. It it won't be about Han, Luke and Leia. I don't. I don't. I think it's going to be be about about? Holdo and uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. The direction that they'd be going in is, is probably, uh, that is is it's dreadful as it is for me to say that <laughs> because it is truly dreadful i mean my god i would i would uh, the idea of a luke skywalker you know something that fills in the blanks between jedi and the force awakens is just uh, so such a great idea such a I mean, wouldn't wonderful you love to concept. see him re- re- recruiting you know the young people that are going to I mean, imagine the, the 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 drama of of you know getting to know and 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 loving these characters that you know Luke has chosen to be part of the new generation of Jedi, and you know their fate. You know that at some moment, you know Kylo is going to betray them. That the the Knights of Ren are going to rain down and 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 destroy it all. I mean, you know it's coming. I just think it would be. Uh, you know, fabulous, you know, very much akin to what we experienced with Anakin and Padme and that that tragedy that's about to unfold while we're watching the Clone Wars. Uh, I just think there would be beautiful symmetry in that. It would be fantastic. It would be truly, truly great. But I but again, we'll I think the odds are the adventures against of Haldo. <laughs> I, I think the adventures of Haldo and, and Rose and her sister. I think that's more the direction things will be going in. Let me let me say one thing about 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 Haldo. And you know, there's a lot of the last Jedi that has uh been strengthened by watching these materials and 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 being able to experience the movie a few more times at home and of course on my commutes. That's when I when I devour all this stuff. It's everyone knows. Um I was going to ask you, were you watching this stuff <laughs> as you were driving? Absolutely. <laughs> The, 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 the Haldo stuff, however... One of these days, I'm not going to be laughing about this, but... <laughs> the Haldo stuff... Uh, and I, it wasn't like I walked away from you know my experiences in the theater going, oh, boy, I can't wait to get that action figure. I love that character. I just like, all right, it is what it is. I mean, it's somewhat obvious what it is. But when I when, when you hear uh, Ryan talking about it, because, you know, my, my, my first thought about Haldo and where we, we started going with 
with the character was sort of this hippy dippy kind of far out character, sort of the the opposite of Leia. And what you what you find almost without fail that Ryan does throughout when you hear his thought process is he always takes the contrarian route. He always takes the opposite of what would be predictable. And, you know, it's kind of like it reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where George decides that he's going to do the opposite of whatever his instinct is, t- yes. is, is telling him. And it's and, and I I was thinking about that as Ryan was talking about, he's, you know, you got this strong Leia character. And so, you know, in the, in the tradition of Leia, you know, we're just going to go the other way and she's going to be kind of this far out kind of. Uh, hippy dippy was it's his word. Spacey, yeah. spacey, and, and you you see the earlier iteration of the yes. character in that Leia novel, Leia, Princess of oh, Alderaan. Oh, in the novel. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about in some of the shots because I think you see in some, some of the of shots. Too. I think you do too. Yes, I I do agree with that. But apparently, they did shoot her character originally, like pushing the envelope as far as that goes, and then. They brought Laura Dern back for some reshoots and really toned, you know, they pulled that back a lot. I would love yeah, to her, see some of those outtakes. Her big know. speech, you know, was one that they that they brought back. But, you know, there's that scene that she has with Poe about, you know, oh, I've seen your type before, just a hot shot fly boy, blah, blah, blah. When I watch that scene, I think, I think this is more of that kind of like hippy dippy spacey, you know, girl thing going on. Um it just it, she, at the end of the day, the character just doesn't do much for me. I mean, I will I will push back on some of the the Akbar uh, acolytes, uh, our our dear, wonderful, sweet, lovely friend Paul Bateman is one of these uh, who just is just outraged at the fact that uh, you know Akbar uh, was sidelined for for Haldo, and as I'm not a huge fan of the Haldo character. Uh, this this um, myth that that Akbar is this uh, critical and central character to Star Wars lore. I just come on. This is a combination of uh, of nostalgia and pop culture references. Yes, uh, there's nothing on the screen that makes Akbar this heavyweight of Star Wars. No, uh, you're absolutely right. You, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Tim Rose. The original puppeteer for Admiral Akbar, and a great guy, someone I've interviewed in the past. He uh, he told me he said, you know, I used to do some of these things, and uh, no, nobody would really show up, and I, you know, I'd make a few bucks here and there. But after the robot chicken thing happened, <laughs> the line was out the door, and now I yeah. can't turn them down. There was a yeah. time when Tim Rose was so far off the map. Admiral Akbar, Tim Rose, was so far off the map that Star Wars Insider actually published something in one of its columns. If you know or seen or have ever heard of Tim Rose, could you please tell him to get a hold of us? We can't find this guy. No. No. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could find, I could actually find the issue because I saved them all. But uh, and I will and I will find that issue because I need to back up what I'm saying. But we need yeah, to it, find it, Tim Rose. <laughs> yeah. So, but wow. uh, but I mean that's how far off the pop culture map Admiral Akbar was. But once that robot chicken thing happened with it's a trap, 
It's a wrap. <laughs> it's a snap. Um, yeah. then, then that, of course, you know, just took off. So, hey, we've got some clips of the actual uh, uh, director's commentary, and, and as I've said, you know, by all means, uh, watch it. Uh, it's 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 definitely worth listening to. But there there is, I would say. 80% of it is uh, is Ryan just being extraordinarily kind and complimentary to all the different people that helped him make the movie. Uh, but there are little nuggets. There are some good little things in there. Uh, Jim, you've selected some clips for us. Uh, this first one is uh, what we hear Ryan talk about with that, of course, that big moment that had everybody talking immediately. Luke chucking the lightsaber right. over his shoulder. Yeah, this is this is uh, probably the lengthiest clip we'll play uh, from the commentary. But I, I wanted Ryan's full thought to get out there, so I didn't want to chop it up or do anything silly like that. But it's been one of the most talked about things about The Last Jedi. Luke throwing his lightsaber away and turning his back on the Jedi Order, the Force, and the galaxy. And uh, that, to me, is some of the more compelling stuff about what's talked about by Ryan Johnson in this Last Jedi commentary. So here's his take on it. This is Ryan's commentary track as Luke is being presented with that saber from Ray, and then he tosses it over his shoulder. So this moment of uh, Mark tossing the saber... Fling. Um, that, that, that was always just something that made a lot of sense to me in terms of, okay, he's come out to this island and, and, and the first thing I had to do when I was writing the script was figure out why is Luke on this island. And, uh, you know, because we have the enigmatic kind of shot at the end of The Force Awakens. We see his face. We wonder what's going on here. And, uh, you know, I, 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 so he knows his friends are fighting this good fight. He knows there's peril out there in the galaxy. And he's exiled himself way out here and taken himself out of it. Um, and so I had to figure out why. And I knew because it's Luke Skywalker who I grew up with as a hero. I knew the answer couldn't be cowardice. Uh, so he, I knew it had, the answer had to be something active. He couldn't just be hiding. And I knew it had to be something positive. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And that kind of led to uh, – hey, Porgs. Uh, that led to um, – Sorry, it's tough to keep your train of thought on a serious topic while there are porgs on the screen. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, that led to the notion that he's he's come to the conclusion from all the given evidence that uh, the Jedi are are not helping. And they're just perpetuating this kind of cycle, and that they need to go away so that the light can rise from a more worthy source. And so suddenly, then that turned his exile from something where he's hiding and avoiding responsibility to him kind of taking the weight of the world on his shoulders and bearing the you know bearing this huge burden of knowing his friends are suffering and because he thinks it's the bigger it's a better bigger thing for the galaxy he's uh he's choosing to not engage with it ah you know that that um when Ryan started when I was listening to the commentary I, that's a great great clip and uh, sums up so much of the the philosophy that sort of drove him in in writing this movie. Um, something that confused me a little bit with the the first few viewings of the film, where you, when when Yoda was 
hitting him on the head with the cane and saying, you know, same old Skywalker, always with you, looking away, you know, looking off into the horizon in the distance. And I'm like, well, but is Luke really doing that at this point? He seems like he's really focused on on the big picture. And then hearing Ryan talking about that, I'm like, ah, but that's not, that's exactly what Yoda's talking about. Always your mind on the horizon, the distance, the future, your big lofty ideas, never your mind on where you are in front of this girl who needs you to be Luke Skywalker. Right. And so all of a sudden, uh, you know, that scene, which of course I loved from the beginning, uh, is is growing on me and becoming you know more and more special and you know getting up there with uh, you know his appearances in the uh, in the in the classic trilogy as well. So yeah, when we're this, first yeah. introduced to Luke Skywalker, he's arguing with Uncle Owen about you know why can't he go? He wants to go next semester. He's not you know put himself in the present at all. He doesn't know what's best for his family, his far you know, the farm and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, Uncle Owen, yeah, sure, he's grumpy and he's a curmudgeon. He's grizzled, as we've officially <laughs> branded him on our, yes. our... He's branded as grizzled. Yes. So, <laughs> but, um, but you know, he's he's living in the real world. He's living day to day. They don't have... My, they need to hire more hands. He desperately needs Luke. Or else, you know what? The whole farm could go belly up. And Luke doesn't care about that. He's only thinking about his own future. He wants to get out there. He wants to get into adventures. He wants to get away from the farm, looking off into the horizon. The first time we're introduced to Luke, he stands there looking off into the horizon. He's staring at the twin setting suns. He's always thinking ahead. When he's on Dagobah, he has to split because he thinks he can get out there and save his friends. Now he's he's put himself into the present, and then that blows up into his face. So yeah. Luke is really, he's like always at odds, you know, he's between a rock and a hard place at all times. And here again, when we're introduced to him in The Last Jedi, he's not thinking about the president. He's not thinking about the fact that the First Order is out there and they are commanding this horrible presence upon the galaxy. And Luke doesn't care about that. He's thinking about the future. He's thinking about making sure something doesn't continue into the future when he should be thinking about the present. And what's going on right there? Well, let me throw this at you real, real, real quick. I, I, because I want to get your take on this. Let's go back to Empire Strikes Back. Luke is getting ready to leave. He's warming up the, the the X Wing. He's going to take off. Yoda says to him, If you leave now, help them you could, but you will destroy all for which they have fought and suffered. What does he mean by that? What does Luke leaving? What does that how does that destroy what they have fought for and suffered? For? Right. I thought they were friends. They were a team. They were a rebellion, all working for the same cause. Luke has fought and suffered alongside these people. Do you have an answer for what you think Yoda's perspective is? I'd love to hear what you think. I think what Yoda is 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 thinking is that Luke could be killed, that Luke could he's risking everything. The, the 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 cause has been um, focused around in certain circles, select circles, these twins that are going to potentially bring hope back to the galaxy. And Luke's going off hack, half cocked, half trained to face down Vader. So at best, he's going to get converted. At worst, he's going to get his head chopped off. 
So Yoda is saying you're risking everything that your friends are really fighting for by doing this because you're not ready. That's my thought. And they sure do dump a huge burden on Luke, too, by, you know, he's the only hope in all that stuff, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just like with his father. It's uh, it's a tough burden to bear. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a Luke Skywalker who's been driven into the ground with that burden by the time we catch up with him in The Last Jedi. Um, so... That's uh, that's some pretty important insight to get from Ryan Johnson there, and that can be a fun yeah, for sure. Track one, one other little thing is uh, this is just a little thing, but I, I thought it was interesting because I think this is something we may have talked about on the show about Luke's statement that we heard first in the trailer. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Jedi must end, um, and it became sort of a famous line for the film. But I had been speculating if that was if we were hearing the full, the full line of dialogue. Um, mm. Something about that felt chopped up to me. I can't re- I can't recall the exact show I was talking about it on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was, it's ringing a bell. But uh, Ryan Johnson brings it up here, um, and uh, apparently there was more to that line of dialogue than what ended up in the final film. And this line, actually, it's time for the Jedi to end. It's funny. Like, originally, my written line here was something much more kind of convoluted. Like, you know, I forget what it was, but it was not as concise as that. It was actually the, the, the when we cut the trailer, the, uh, the trailer guys actually kind of did a condensed version of it that just said it's time for the Jedi to end. And so I went, I took that and I went back and <laughs> readjusted. I'm like, that's ah, so much better than the line I originally wrote. I went back and readjusted it so that it was, it was just that and it worked so much better. Isn't that amazing? You know, obviously we, we've heard and we followed these, uh, the, these trailers. Uh, we've seen so many of them released while we've been doing this show. Uh, and we know that they're produced by agencies. They're cut and put together by agencies and that's exactly what they do so here you sort of got the tail wagging the dog a little bit you got these guys stringing together this footage to make this trailer ryan johnson sees and goes hey i like that i'm gonna steal that Mm -hmm. and then you know readjusted the uh the the final film to to reflect that and uh you know it's always it's it's a lot harder to to write uh brief than it is to write long, you know, like anybody can write long, but when you, uh, you know, Jim, you, in radio, you know, writing copy is, is, is hard because you got to be brief. You got to be concise. You got to be efficient with the words that you yes. use. To, it it's to, some of the hardest type of writing. There has to be an atmosphere of clarity behind yeah. your statement. And yeah, it has to get right to the point. Um, thinking about this trailer and how, Ryan Johnson adjusted the film to match the trailer. We've come a long way from the Rogue One trailer that contained a bunch of crap that didn't end up in the final <laughs> film at all. You still want to file that uh, false advertising suit, don't you? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, class action. <laughs> class action. Hey, um, another thing that the commentary sheds a lot of light on um a lot of light is the the ending and and the force projection of 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 Luke 
And so that it's definitely worth watching just, for, you know, for his commentary in that sequence. Jim, some of the details that the uh, ILM crew uh, went to to really and, and Ryan uses this phrase a lot throughout the sequences. I wanted to play fair. We're playing fair. I want to play fair. Yeah. What he means by that is he was not, you know, you think about Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, you know, <laughs> not, oh, my God, he's a ghost the whole time. Sorry, spoiler alert. But, um, <laughs> you know, in this case, he really wanted to make sure he wasn't leaving footprints. There was no dust from crate settling, uh, you know, upon him. Um, the, he never really, uh, how was it the way he passes the dice off to Leia? He never really touches her hand or, or something with the dice. I mean, they really wanted to make sure that when you, once you, once you know, uh, the truth about Luke's presence there on crate, that you can go back and watch it and see that nothing, you know, uh, ruins that illusion that they were very true to that, that he wasn't, you know, creating any physical impact on the environment. Yeah. And that's so that was Ryan. Yeah. You know, he did. He did go on about that a lot in the commentary. I grabbed a little clip of him talking about Luke's force projection and really the impact it has on his character on a whole and the and, and the death of Luke Skywalker, which is something I want to talk about a little bit after we hear this clip of Ryan Johnson. To play the whole thing of, of Luke coming back, you know, as this kind of projection. I mean, story-wise, I knew I wanted him to come back, but I also knew that meant he was going to confront Kylo. And I, I knew that I couldn't kill Kylo, and I knew I didn't want Kylo to kill Luke. I knew Luke was going to, you know, die at the end of this film, but I wanted it to be a peaceful... And um, I want it to be the opposite of Han's death. I want it to be peaceful and a win, basically, in its own way, on his terms. So that's where this idea of him coming back as a projection came from. Yeah, there you go. It's interesting to hear Ryan briefly mention the death of Luke right there, where he says, I know Luke had to die at the end. But mm -hmm. Ryan never really elaborates on why Luke had mm. to die. Ryan goes on and on about every decision he made, except for that one where he says, I knew Luke had to die at the end. Why did Ryan know Luke had to die at the end? Why do you think? Especially when he had an actor that did not want to have his character end with the film. Why did he? Um, I, you know, I'll be pretty honest with you. I think it was because the trajectory of the films as they were developing was that seven was Han, eight was Luke, and nine was Leia. Yeah, but that, that doesn't is. mean you have to kill off a character. It's, it's interesting because he never really elaborates why Luke had to die. Now, we know the result of Luke's death leads to the the story of Luke Skywalker inspiring a galaxy to rise up against tyranny. But couldn't right. that story still be told if the man was still breathing? Yes, it could be. Yes, it could yeah. be. And that's what puzzles me, that Ryan does not elaborate on that at all. And Jason, this week on RFR Rush Hour, you bring up 
some speculation that's been going online as to why Colin Trevorrow is no longer the director of mm. Star Wars Episode Nine. And I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the story myself, but we've been led to believe that, and this is all just rumor, folks, but uh, there's talk on the internet that Colin stepped away, or the, the separation was made because Colin disagreed with the death of Luke Skywalker occurring in episode eight. Yeah. I think Ryan, I think that Colin thought he had that as a, a tool in the toolbox uh, for his film. And that was not to be the case. And so Ryan was taking away uh, things that I think Colin was looking forward to using and, and, and having for his, his story. And, you know, they, they reached a point where he's like, well, what am I even here for if I'm if I don't have Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and Carrie Fisher's passed away? What, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and I think that I think it's fair. And, um, you know, I, I, I to this day, I believe that Lucasfilm has I don't think I, I think they've acted reverently, but I don't think they've acted appropriately reverently but not rationally yes yes that's a better word and the thing not rationally to the death of carrie fisher the thing about the death of luke skywalker in episode eight and ryan's overall lack to provide some insight into that at least on this commentary track i don't know i got to admit i haven't combed through every little bit of ryan johnson interview material that's been released since the film came out so uh correct me if i'm wrong i'd love to throw this out to uh everyone if if somebody could provide to me some sort of rationale that ryan has provided publicly for why luke skywalker had to die at the end of the film i mean why did he have to die i understand that what he did his act provides inspiration to spark the fire and whatever they're doing, you know, in the galaxy. Light the spark light of the, the spark fire that will fire. burn. burn a fire all throughout the... He's doing all of that. But does he have yeah. to die? Does he have to die to do that? Can he still force project himself from the island of Octu? And, and... Ah, the, wait a minute, though. Hold on a second. Here's a thought. The only two people that know that Luke Skywalker is dead are Ray and Leia. Right. So I don't think it's so much. Ah, this is a tough one because you're right. I mean, uh, Ryan is right out there saying, you know, I, I knew when I was writing this that Luke had to die. Yeah. Luke had to die. But he doesn't expound on it. No. But well, how, how did know, he know this? Why did he know this? Yeah, here's here's my conspiracy theory. Go the, for it. Despite the fact that Ryan Johnson has said countless numbers of times that he was given free reign and he wrote the script and did everything on his own. I still think there were certain directives that were passed down from Lucasfilm story group, Kathleen Kennedy's office wherever you want to point the fingers, but I think there are certain elements that Ryan was told had to be in this film, and the death of Luke Skywalker was one of them. I don't think Ryan came up with that on his own. He said, I know Luke Skywalker had to die in this film. How'd you know? Because you were told. That's my conspiracy theory, folks. That's my conspiracy. And I want somebody to prove me wrong on this, too. 
if anyone still listens to this show from Lucasfilm, get a hold of me. Uh, you guys don't return my calls anymore. But uh, but uh, seriously, I I I I I think that there are there are some puppet masters here when it comes to the making of Star Wars films, and it's not all being left up to the screenwriters and the directors. I think it goes. I think there's a, a, a more of an umbrella plan here for certain projects. Mm. Mm. That's my guess. Yeah, it, it it very well could be. I mean, if that's if that is marching orders, I don't know. We do know that Mark is a cast member of Episode Nine. We can write. I think we can assume that uh, he's going to show up as a blue glowy, as uh, Jar Jar might call him. Well, I, um, but I go back to what you were saying, though. Who knows? Luke died. Ray and Leia, and they mm-hmm. seem to confirm that with each other in the film. But uh, Mark Hamill said on the red carpet uh, a few weeks ago at uh, whatever fun, I must have been the Oscars because, of course, Mark was there as a presenter, and uh, he said, "Well, you know, maybe I didn't die. Maybe I just projected myself somewhere else. You know, he's just popping yeah. around the galaxy <laughs> now. You know, that's what he does. He just shows up." He's like yeah. Bill Murray, you know. You, you'll be having a bachelor party. Also, Bill Murray walks in and sits down and has a beer with you. These things happen, folks. Google it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's 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 fascinating, I, and I think it's exciting. And I, you know, I would I have liked to have seen Luke um, do this, do that, you know, in the movie, possibly. There is also the aspect of the fact that he's a 64-year-old man and you know what I'm sure with all kinds of CG and stunts he could do lots of things but I I do think that there is something to be said for Ryan's take the opposite approach don't go the easy route don't go the obvious route uh again you can agree to disagree but I believe he's consistent and I also believe that he uses really really sound logic uh, when it, when it comes to all those, uh, all those things, you know, uh, something as simple as there's a moment where he's talking about phasma and, and, and her, when she gets her helmet cracked open and they had all these ideas about what to do with her face and her eye, the eye that you see. And, and uh, wow, what do we make it real ugly? Do we put, you know, prosthetics on and, and, and he attributes it to Daisy Ridley. Daisy says, why don't you just leave it alone? Why don't you just have it be this, beautiful blue eye that you know that Gwendolyn Christie has and he's like yeah that's kind of the the opposite of what you'd expect let's go with that and that's uh it 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 makes for a very interesting interesting movie luck has falls in attack positions hi this is Dennis Lawson and you're listening to Rebel Force Radio your source for the force the size of that thing cut the gun already from Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 Top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. Plus, exclusive cards and images from Star Wars The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, and much more. Even Star 
Wars Rebels. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. All right, before we wrap things up, we do want to uh, play some highlights of Mark Hamill's big moment there on Hollywood Boulevard as he finally receives his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and the stars came out and in a big way, including the maker himself and our favorite Star Wars curmudgeon, Harrison Ford, uh, as they honored Mark Hamill with this uh, incredible moment. And Jim, there's, you know... Again, Mark being a guy who just appreciates and loves the world of show business and and all of that, there's there's very few, I think, more deserving of having the you know the tacky star on the Hollywood <laughs> Walk of Fame than than uh, Mark Hamill. Well, and I'll tell you what, he had a, a record sized crowd for oh uh, good when, when he received the honor. It, it was uh, really amazing, and uh, he was eating it up. Let me just say, lots of mugging, uh, you know, um, drawing uh, the air hearts in the air, you know, the air oh, heart yeah. uh-huh. and, uh, oh, yeah. and everything and, and relishing his moment. And, and he had yeah, cool. a couple of the biggest names in his career as far as collaborators go. George and Harrison were on hand and uh, our microphones were there. So let's go right to George Lucas himself and... Uh, <laughs> The ever-eloquent George Lucas. Mark Hamill is a character that can't be written. This is a roast. Uh, He uh, is extremely enthusiastic about everything he does. And um, that's exactly what I was looking for when I was looking for for, uh, Luke Skywalker. I was looking for somebody that had grown up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere that was very naive about what was going on in the world young uh, but enthusiastic and uh, he proved to uh, wear his medal well and uh, I had gone through a lot of different uh, a very long process of casting and uh, it, it became very clear after a while when we started doing screen test that uh, not only did, was he a good actor, but he was also great with the other actors that were in the finals to to uh, be the cast of Star Wars. Because we always considered it an ensemble piece between the three of them, and that they really had to get along with each other, or at least have some kind of chemistry. George's phone going off and, there. Uh, yeah. Apart from anything else, they did have chemistry. <laughs> I'm not sure it's always good, but it was definitely chemistry. Sort of a high school chemistry. If something goes off in the background and people are trying to hide the flames. <laughs> but uh, It's like a roast. Uh, I'm very proud of Mark for getting his star. Uh, we've been around together for... I don't want to say how many years. Uh, and uh, you've come a long way from that casting session with the thing to getting your star on Hollywood Boulevard with a few little movies in between. 
a couple plays, TV series, and that. But it's been a long. I mean, you know, for us, this is kind of getting toward the end of the road. <laughs> We're talking about the beginning of the road, and this is sort of uh, capping the whole experience in between. And uh, so. Uh, that's all I can say. That's why George he's doesn't still, do many interviews. He's still old enough to do a lot more movies. <laughs> listen, or young listen to this part. To do a lot of uh-huh. I didn't catch that at the very end. What do he say? Oh, okay. Well, that's how the whole thing ended. He goes, he goes. He's young enough to do more movies. And Mark goes, "You too, you too." And he goes, "No." And he turns around and just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't do anything. No. no. Retired. <laughs> don't get you hear? You bums. <laughs> Hamill. Oh, my God. I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, part of it was very sweet and nice. And the, the... <laughs> George always gets it. He's he's just oh, so awkward. And he he always acts like he always acts like he sort of has a game plan. But then he bails on it completely about midway through. Right, right. Can you imagine, like, being, you know, his PR person, just like, all right, here's what you got to do. These three points. Let's go out there and deliver them. Ah! (laughs) You guys had chemistry? Well, kind of high school chemistry. And then the publicist is just like, oh, high school chemistry. Oh, no. So then you have Harrison Ford. Now, Harrison Ford's He's there to lighten the mood. Yeah, he he actually came in via helicopter. He crashed it right into the sidewalk, right in front of the thing. By the way, when Harrison Ford crashes a party, he literally crashes a party. There he is. He came out there. You know, he had his nose was bleeding a little bit, but other than that, he looked really good. <laughs> All right, here it is. There's a lot more people that showed up uh, uh, for my star. <laughs> Busted chops, right out of the gate. Uh huh. A lot more. <laughs> a lot more. I I prepared myself for this uh, experience by go, going back and looking at the screen test uh, that I did with Mark, and uh, I was surprised actually how good he was. <laughs> Zing! Not that I, you know. I, th- I felt at the time that he wasn't good. I thought he was great, and he had that, he had just the right blend of of youthfulness and and enthusiasm. But I, th- I think George said at the time that he was that in a, a movie that was full of space vehicles and kind of cosmic ideology that, that what he wanted was somebody that um, he needed a protagonist that that was comfortable with uh, the, those things and could be both um, comfortable and, and serious in, in, in a world uh, made up of those elements and Mark certainly achieved that I thought uh, oh. He saved himself. I thought the wheels were coming off there for a today, second. I was really sorry that we don't have um, the other member of our trio here to celebrate with us. Oh, obviously, shout out to Carrie Fisher. Yeah. 
but I feel her presence. Um, Inappropriate laughter. Mark is a a friend that I don't see very often. Our lives have diverged to a certain extent, but I am very uh, pleased for him. He's... uh, he has been the master of his own experience, his own life, and he is, um, as he always was, a, a quiet, sincere, quiet, honest person. He's not a grandstander, and and uh, I think he has found. Uh, Comfort and uh, and utility and uh, control. You know the wheels are coming off again. And I'm, oh yeah, I'm happy for you, Bill. <laughs> there, that's nice. I'm Congratulations. Happy yeah. All right, all right. So here, yeah. Harrison, that, that was a little roller coaster ride, Harrison. That, just took us out there. Oh boy, it was. I think the sentiment was. was legit. <laughs> oh, for sure. Harrison, For I think sure. it, it, at one point he was hearing a voice through the speakers and he was like, oh, my God, that's my voice. <laughs> but he's always, he's always been sort of. Yeah, he's kind of got that Dean Martin, like, how'd you all get in my room yeah. kind of. <laughs> but he's always had sort of that standoffish attitude toward public speaking. It really. So why does he volunteer for these gigs? Cha-ching. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, you 50, know that, uh, probably for sure, boy, had, yeah. it, imagine if Auntie Carrie had been there. Imagine that speech. Yeah, yeah it would have been probably. The first time I saw Mark naked. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> she was always good for those stories. <laughs> oh, she is missed. But uh, so oh, you boy. can't keep a good man down. Mm. They, uh, they said uh, today in Hollywood is Mark Hamill Day and... Uh, in the city of Los Angeles, and uh, Mark went up there and uh, accepted uh, his his star. It was unveiled, and it was awesome. And so, uh, Mark, uh, obviously, you know, gift of gab. He kept it relatively short. Mm. And uh, I, well, after it, those eulogies, <laughs> but uh, very, you know, you'll hear Mark very gracious. And and when Harrison says Mark's a quiet guy, he doesn't mean Mark's personality because mark has a very buoyant very happy upbeat personality and everything and like we said he certainly doesn't shy away from a microphone and telling a great story but when harrison says quiet i think he means mark is a is a superstar is still one of the most down-to-earth guys you'll find in hollywood and he's just he he's his feet are firmly planted on the ground and that's something i've always loved about mark hamill and so uh, here he is accepting his uh, star on hollywood's walk of fame I haven't been this speechless since Force Awakens. <laughs> uh, Zing. But I, I do really want to thank uh, George Lucas. Uh, let's, be, yeah, let's be honest, if it weren't for the genius of George Lucas, I wouldn't be standing here today. So whatever thanks led me to his doorstep, he changed my life forever in a way that still reverberates today. Um, when I first met Harrison Ford, I was already a fan of his work in Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation and one of my favorite comedies of all time, American Graffiti. Uh, 
there's no way I could have predicted he'd become the biggest movie star on the planet, but it was clear that I was in the presence of greatness and he was one of the best actors in film history. Uh, he also gave me the great advice, hey kid, <laughs> don't get cocky. <laughs> and I've tried to remember that to this very day. I also want to thank my family who flew in from all over the country to be here. My brother Bill, my sister Terry, my sister Jeannie, my sister Jan, my brother Patrick. It means so much to me because they were the ones that had to suffer through my endless puppet shows, <laughs> my magic tricks, my terrible impersonations of Jerry Lewis and Richard Nixon. <laughs> They were my first audience. They were a captive audience, but an audience nonetheless. Honestly, I, I really can't tell you how lucky I am to be able to do the things that I loved doing as a kid, as, a, as, a, as an adult, and get paid for it. Seriously. I did a, a show, as was mentioned earlier, on Melrose Avenue, my first summer out of Yokohama High School, and there was a man by the name of Gil Bogus. He was in the record industry who introduced me to Alan Carr and said, if you're serious about this, which I was, they took me around and I auditioned for various agents. And by Christmas, I had a SAG card. I had to stay in college. Uh, but by the next summer, I had my SAG card and three professional jobs. Now, at the time, I just thought, oh, this is the way it happens. Well, no. <laughs> I was extraordinarily lucky. Uh, and I, I've never forgotten that. So uh, I want to thank the Hollywood uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, uh, for this honor. I want to thank Disney uh, for making me a part of their family. They were certainly a part of our family growing up. We never missed a, a Disney show every Sunday, saw every movie. Uh, they really inspired me. They showed making of films where I thought, wow, if I can't be an actor, look, there's carpenters, there's cameramen, there's wardrobe people. I'm not a bad cook. Maybe I could cater films. I just want to get, I don't need to be in the show, but I want to be close to the show. And finally, and most importantly, I want to thank all of you here today. You are with me through thick and thin, in the highs, in the lows, and everywhere in between. If it weren't for the public, I'd be nowhere. And from... <laughs> from Jedi to Joker and back again, it's been a fantastic ride. Thank you so much, and may the Force be with each and every one of you. <laughs> Joker laugh. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that he always uh always throws in that uh that that, that Joker. Um it's it says it all right there. I mean, you know, Mark just drips with personality and and humility and um just comfort and ease with with being who he is and he always is so uh you know, willing to sort of put the spotlight on the fans. And that's what he's talking about when he says the public. He's talking about the fans that have been there and the fans that have uh, continued to support him, even in times when he wasn't quite so excited about being associated with Star Wars. Uh, 
I think he he realizes that uh, you know in hindsight they've they've been with him and they've continued to be with him and now he's with us and uh, it's 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 just great it's just great I mean there's um he's just uh, he's one of a kind and we're very fortunate to have him and I think we're very fortunate to have that performance that he gives in the Last Jedi whether you love the movie or you don't you can't argue that he gives just a phenomenal performance in that film mm-hmm. just phenomenal from beginning to end he's 100% jimmy used the word committed that's exactly what i think he is throughout that that whole movie you know so, it's it's been an interesting ride being a star wars fan for 40 something years and my tastes change and my preferences change and my son asked me every day, who's your favorite Star Wars character today, Dad? Because I used to always insist to him I could never choose one individual Star Wars character to be my favorite. So it changes every day. But it's so great to see Mark Hamill have such a, an amazing resurgence in his career. And watching what he did in The Last Jedi, and I know a lot of people disagree with me because they felt the character, and, and Mark is the same way. I mean, Mark Hamill agrees with you. They felt the character should have been serviced differently in Episode Eight. but um, like I said, my preferences have shifted here and there, but the impact that Mark has had and the character of Luke Skywalker's had on me as a Star Wars fan is uh, something that I think tops it all, you know. I think it just tops it all. The the combination of actor and character, there's nothing better in the Star Wars universe, in my opinion. And I'm a huge fan of Mark Hamill's. And yes, Luke Skywalker is my favorite Star Wars character today and every day. That's going to wrap things up for this week. Big thanks to all of our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Radio for helping to make this show possible. You can get all access on Patreon. You'll never miss an episode of our bonus content with shows like RFR Rush Hour, RFR Rewind, and RFR Q&A. Plus, when we do these special events like Solo in Ohio, you can get early access to those types of things and uh, give away so much more going on there at the Patreon community at patreon.com slash Radio. Also, we did lo- do love our friends at Tops in the Star Wars Card Trader app. If you haven't downloaded that to your smartphone, do that now. You'll love it. Also, uh, if you'd like to play with us in between shows, you know, we love to hear from you. Please email us, show at rebelforceradio.com, or you can drop us a voicemail at 708 3201 RFR, that's 708-320-1737. You can also find us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. Uh, Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio, that's the official Facebook page. And the official website for all things and everything Rebel Force Radio, including all of our back episodes, news. we got videos on there, uh, merchandise like RFR t-shirts and so much more, plus details about Solo in Ohio coming 
to the official website, rebelforceradio.com. Uh, iTunes is a great place for you to subscribe and review Rebel Force Radio and uh, its various shows. can do so. Love to have those reviews. Just one rule, please. Make them good. And you can find us streaming. We're streaming online at WGNplus.com. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere you can find podcasts, including, for some of you, Alexa, play Rebel Force Radio. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, Fanthatracks.com, and the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com. We'll see you next time. More to discuss and digest. We've just begun here, folks, with The Last Jedi next week. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you always. Always.